some of our favorite Christmas carols may not be the most historically accurate. Away in a manger. Away in a manger. Can you guys sing it for me? The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus. Really? No crying. No crying he makes. That's a stretch. It seems to downplay the humanity of Jesus. Babies cry to let us know they need food or to let us know they need to be changed. And so baby Jesus wasn't like, I'm in, I'm in need of changing right now. And if you're too busy, I will take care of it myself. Poof, everything's clean. You know, Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know? I didn't know about that song until I uh, became a believer and walked into a church uh, at, at like 20 years old and they sang, Mary, did you know? And I'm like, what in the world is this song? And it's, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Uh, I mean, maybe not that specifically. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Yeah, she probably knew that. An angel visited her husband and said, you, your, your wife is, is with child, conceived by the Holy Spirit. His name will be Jesus. God saves, and he will save their people from their sins. Now, as a husband, that is something I would have shared with my wife. Furthermore, Mary was visited as well. Hey, you are going to give birth to the Messiah. So, so Mary, did you know? Yeah, I, I, I knew. I knew a lot of these things. Now, I'm not saying that if you go to a, a different church on, on Christmas Eve, which you really shouldn't, uh, <laughs> uh, but um, if you go to a different church on Christmas Eve and they sing, Mary, did you know that you're like, boo! Like, <laughs> no! Uh, we don't need to throw all of that out. Um, you know, I understand poetic license and, and things like that, but we just need to be honest. And so in Matthew 2, 1 through 12, we're going to look at another favorite Christmas carol. As we consider the Magi who came from the East to visit Jesus. So if you've ever sang We Three Kings, We Three Kings of Ori, I mean, if you ever sing that song before, you know, this passage may cause you to rethink those familiar lyrics. And so as we tweak our, our understanding of this passage's historical accuracy, we're going to see two very different responses to the birth of King Jesus. We are also going to see God's heart for all nations. So grab a Bible. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, 1 through 2. You can look on your phone. You can have the Bible in front of you. That is God's word to us. He reveals himself through his word. Be in chapter 2, verse 1. So let's read. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. So let's set the stage here a little bit. Most likely, the events in this passage happened months, maybe even a year or two years after the birth 
of Jesus, which kind of debunks most of our nativity scenes. We see three wise men at the nativity scene. That's most likely not how it happened. They visit Jesus in his home, not at a stable. We also don't know how many of these men there are. There could have been 10. There could have been 30. We assume there are three, or we say there are three because we associate them with the gifts, gold, frankincense, and, and myrrh. Some myrrh of what? Uh, myrrh. Uh, we also assume uh, from we <laughs> terrible dad joke. There you go. Thank you. Uh, we also assume that they were kings from the song. We three kings. Uh, but they were magi. There's nowhere that tells us that they were actually kings. Magi were a mix of like pagan uh, priests and astrologers who were wise in interpreting the stars. They were high-ranking officials. Uh, probably of great power, of great wealth, for the gifts they brought were expensive gifts. And they're from the east. We don't, we don't know where from the east. It could be Arabia, Babylon, Persia, Egypt. Every one of these areas, every one of these nations had significant Jewish populations. So these men would have had access to Jewish teaching and Jewish prophecies. Specifically like Micah 5.2, but you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. They could have had access to Balaam's prophecy in Numbers 24.17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. So the Magi see from their home in the east, this star supernaturally rise in the west. And they associate it with Jewish prophecy. And they set out to find this ruler from Bethlehem, this king from Bethlehem. And I just want to quickly touch on something that we are going to, we're going to wrap up with here at the end of, of this sermon. Matthew is primarily aimed at, at a Jewish audience. But the first people we see worshiping King Jesus, some of the first people we see worshiping King Jesus are, are magi from the nations. The promised Messiah is not merely just king of the Jews. He's king of all people, Jew, Gentile. We're going to come back to that, that theme here at the end. And the Magi come to Jerusalem in the time of King Herod the Great. Now, King Herod was a client ruler. Uh, he uh, was given all of Judea to rule under Rome. And so he actually uh, was known as a great builder. Uh, he rebuilt the temple in all its glory. He rebuilt a, a lot of different things. Uh, but at the end of his life, he became somewhat of a paranoid maniac. Anybody who threatened the rule of King Herod was put to death. He would kill his wife, one of his wives, his, his sons. We see him drown uh, a priest, uh, uncles, cousins, uh, anybody who threatened his throne, he would, he would just off. He was like an unhinged 
mafia boss. Caesar Augustus once said he would rather die or he would rather be Herod's pig or, or dog than his son, because that meant you were probably under suspicion. And so this stage is set. These pagans from the east come. They inquire about Jesus in the land of Herod the Great, who is a maniac at this point in history. Look at verse three. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Upon hearing of these wise men, these magi, and their inquiry about King Jesus, the true king, King Herod is troubled, along with the corrupt religious leaders in Jerusalem, many of which Herod probably put in place himself. The word trouble literally means in turmoil or, or terrified. So King Herod is terrified of a baby because it's a baby who threatens his throne. It's easy to find reasons to make fun of Herod because he was a psychopath. But we must realize that one of the reasons we reject Herod is because he threatens our throne. Herod has a superficial knowledge of Scripture. And so he brings together the chief priests and, and scribes. Scribes were copiers of scripture who evolved to be experts uh, of the law. Uh, and they brought him to find out where the king was to be born. And I imagine Herod's response to hearing these words, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, that's the same place King David was, was born and raised. Bethlehem, an insignificant village, now with great honor will produce a ruler. Well, a ruler, that's, that's my job. Out of Bethlehem will come a ruler and shepherd. He will guide and care for his people. Not, not, not under my watch will this happen. And so we can see Herod twirling his mustache as he plots and schemes. Look at verse 7 and 8. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and, and worship him. We find out that this is a bold faced lie. Herod has no plans to worship the newborn king. The wise men are, are pawns that will help Herod rid himself of this problem. And it's, it's, as I said before, it's easy to find fault in Herod because He's a psychopath, but we must realize that one of the reasons many people reject King Jesus is because he threatens their crown. He threatens their throne. You know, Jesus may be your Messiah. He may be Christ, but is he your king? 
You may say, man, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. I believe he saved me. But I, I am the one and only true king of my life. I do what I want. That is a very American thing to say. I do what I want. I will not submit myself and what I do to someone else. This response, this Herodian response is to reject the Messiah because to accept him, it means putting down our crown. And so I think there's a little bit here where Matthew's saying, don't, don't be like Herod. Don't be like Herod. Don't be like this, this man who, who was called the king of the Jews who actually rejects the king of the Jews. Look at 9 and 11. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The star, a supernatural GPS, it guides them to the home of Jesus. And seeing this miraculous astrological event and the fact that they were about to knock on the door of this king filled them with great joy, literally exceedingly great joy. And these magi, these pagans from the east, they come and revere Jesus. They come into the house. They find Mary and Jesus and lower themselves before the newborn king. This is the way in the east that rulers were shown honor. People would come in and they would put their nose to the ground. And it was also common in the east to bring a superior gifts. And every one of these gifts used to honor Jesus were associated with royalty. Now, some people really try to specify what these gifts mean. I really think the idea is they are coming to a king and offering their superior gifts, gold, prized for its beauty and value, frankincense and myrrh, spices used in worship and in the best perfume. Some commentators say this would have funded them in their flight uh, to Egypt. But throughout this whole passage, we see these men revere Jesus. Don't, don't be like Herod. <laughs> be like these men, these outsiders who come and show us what it looks like to worship Jesus. We see two very different contrasting reactions to the birth of Jesus. Herod rejected Jesus because his crown, his throne was threatened. These men of, of power and influence come and revere Jesus. So here's my question for you. What will you do? Will you revere him or reject him? The newborn king will either be revered or rejected. We will either reject Jesus, possibly because it means giving up our very own kingship, or we will revere him by acknowledging 
that he is king. You can call Jesus a miracle worker. You can call Jesus a great teacher. Most people will concede that and pat you on the back. You can even call Jesus your savior. But do you acknowledge him as king of kings and Lord of lords? No higher authority who is over all things. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. All things are under his feet. Does this acknowledgement lead to humble reverence and, and worship? Is prostration the posture of your heart? Is Jesus king of your life? Do you come to Christ, heart bowed, acknowledging that his rule and reign extends to every part of your being? Everything you do. And, and for most of us, we'll say, yeah, Jesus is king, but I know that there are areas of your life and my life that we fail to submit to him. You can have this and rule and reign in this area, but I'm not going to let you have this. You know, how I treat my family, how I treat my spouse. I'll go to church and praise you. But, but I have yet to submit to you, you know, how, how I raise my kids, how I speak to others. I like to hold grudges. I like to be in control of this. Do you come to Christ heart bowed? Does it lead you to give to him the extravagant offerings of your life? Do you, do you lay your time, your talents, your resources, everything you have at his feet for, for him to do whatever he wants because he is your king? The first 12 verses of chapter 2 in Matthew beckon us to come and revere the king. Look at verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. While Herod is powerful and cunning, God is, is sovereign. His plan will not be threatened. In fact, if we see throughout scripture, we know that he uses nations and rulers to accomplish his will. We'll talk about that more next week. But the wise men, they take this dream seriously. Herod's motives are far from pure, so, so they do not return to Herod as requested. These magi, men from the east, return home having sought and seen King Jesus. Again, there are two contrasting reactions to the birth of, of Jesus. Those who respond positively in this passage are, are those who are far beyond the confines of Jerusalem. I said I would pick back up a theme. Here it is. God sees to it that Gentiles, pagans, are some of the first to come and worship the Christ child. This is a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before, God spoke to Abraham and said, through you, through your seed, and Paul clarifies that seed meaning Jesus, all the nations of earth shall be blessed. God desires for all nations, every tribe, every tongue, 
to worship Christ, praise Christ, and revere Christ. And these magi, they foreshadow a day when that will happen. If you look at Philippians 2, 9 through 11, you don't need to turn there, I'll read it. It says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue, every knee. And at the beginning of Matthew, we see the nations come to King Jesus. And I think we are encouraged to come and revere King Jesus. It does not matter your nation, your tribe, your tongue, your background. Come, come. I don't care where you're from, come and worship the king. We see the nations come to worship King Jesus at the very beginning of of Matthew. And at the end of Matthew, the king gives us a command. He says, now, now, guess what? You have a job. You are to go to the nations and you are to tell them about King Jesus. (laughs) That is your role and responsibility as a child of God. So that all nations, every tribe, and every tongue may praise the King. You who revere King Jesus have been given a global mandate by King Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that I've commanded you to do, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Again, in chapter 2, the nations come to King Jesus. In chapter 28, we are told to go to the nations by the king and to tell them about Jesus. He is God's son. He took our sin upon himself so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could be in relationship with God, so that we could have peace with God, so that we could be child, children of God, so that we could live with God forever, so that we could be his kingdom citizens, so that we can praise him forever. And he gives us what life should look like in, in, in light of that kingdom rules and principles. We have the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to look at next year in, in uh, January and February, which we're very excited about. Uh, but, but he tells, go, go to the nations. That is, that is your job now. And tell them about King Jesus so they too may praise King Jesus. David Platt said in his commentary on Matthew, the God who 2,000 years ago sovereignly arranged the stars in the sky. The God who sovereignly directed these magi to the Messiah is the God who has sovereignly arranged your life and every detail in it. Your family, your job, your school, your background, and your relationships. You are not where you are right now by accident. The same God who called these magi according to his global purposes, sends you out according to his global purposes. You, child of God, have been called to take part in fulfilling God's global mission spoken about in Matthew 2 and commanded in Matthew 28. At your workplace and your school, in your neighborhood, you are not there just to be there. 
He has placed you there. God wants to, this, this is, God has this global mission, <laughs> thousands of years in the making. He wants to, he wants to use you. Every believer, not just, it's not just Larry's job. It's not just Doug's job. It's not just Greg's job. It's not just other Larry's job. We call him other Larry because we can only do that once. Uh, Butterfield, Butters. Um, <laughs> it's not just, it, it's every believer's job and privilege and responsibility to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Live for this purpose. It's your purpose. Die, die for this purpose. Give your life and your possessions and your plans and your dreams for the cosmic global purpose of God. The glad praise, praise of Christ among all peoples of the world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.